0: So last week, we talked about uh, how to live in victory. We came to that glorious chapter, Romans 6. And we said, the way to live in victory is to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And we said the word consider is actually an accounting term. It means that that when sin presents itself to you, then you are at that moment, if not beforehand, you're to, you're to put together a calculation that goes something like this that old sinful disposition that used to rule over me. Now I I calculate this way. The sinful disposition plus the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ equals victory the more I can consider, the more I can calculate that way. So here's what's, here's what's happening. I, I am regularly, not just when I receive Christ, but throughout the day, seven days a week, all year long, I am going through this calculation. And, and, and it can be used for any sinful impulse that I have whether whether it snuck up on me it happened in an instant or it was premeditated I can use that calculation and when I use that calculation I can live in victory and that's the goal the goal is to live in victory so that so that we are showing the life of Christ Christ is showing himself through us as we overcome this, this power of sin that we were born with. So last week we talked about how to live in victory. Today, we're going to talk about how to handle defeat. Why? Because no Christian, no Christian, lives in total victory. It might be possible, but it's not probable. But even though we, all of us, will at times suffer defeat, we don't have to be held by our defeat. We don't have to be destroyed by our defeat. And that's what Romans 7 is all about. Romans 7, Romans 6 how to have victory over sin. Romans 7, how to recover from uh, spiritual defeat. Well, this sounds strange, but there are two obstacles to paralyze us in our sanctification. What did we say sanctification was? It's that second step. Justification is coming to Christ. We are placed into Christ. We experience his death, burial, and resurrection, and then, and then God, through the Holy Spirit, works in us to sanctify us. And to sanctify us simply means he begins to transform us into the people that we were intended to be all along. And, and there, are two, there are two obstacles that stand in the way of that process, of that being transformed into the image of Christ. One is the old sin nature... Even though the old sin nature has been defeated and no longer is our ruler, it's still there. It's still inside of us. We still have this sin nature. And, and we're learning how to overcome its power. Its power is broken. We've won, we've won the war, as one man says. We've won the war. The problem is we still experience many battles. And it's possible to lose those battles to the sin nature. So one is the old sin nature that we were born with. And this is really strange. And this is why Romans 7 is such an unusual and often difficult passage to understand. The other, one is the sin nature. That one is really clear. We get that. I get the fact that there's a force inside of me seeking to influence me that, that wants to usurp the rule of God in my life. I get that. But the other, the other is the law. The law. The law, Paul talks about this in Romans 7, and he says, he teaches us how the law can actually obstruct are being transformed into the image of Christ. The law becomes an obstacle to our growth when we try to use the law to overcome sin. If we, if we bring the law into that calculation, in other words, if in the calculation, you know, there is, there is an ought, you ought to do this, John! When I bring that into it, now that becomes an obstacle. It becomes, as I said to my daughter this morning, I said, it's, it's, it becomes a job description. It's not, it's not a happy marriage anymore. I'm just following the rules. And all the joy gets taken out of it. And in fact, it brings in fear. And fear is never going to produce sanctification the law doesn't produce righteousness. The law instructs us about righteousness. It teaches us about righteousness. The law says, this is who you were supposed to be. But, but that's, that is where its power ends. It has the power to tell us what righteousness looks like. It doesn't have the power to produce righteousness in us. And that's so important. This is so important. Because there are so many churches that, that are often referred to as legalist churches. And they live by a set of rules. And everyone, everyone, here's what's going on. Here's what the law produces if you try to apply it. You will either perform, you will pretend, And and in the end, you'll be condemned. In fact, if you try to use the law to produce righteousness, here's another thing that happens. As soon as you bring in the law, guess what is aroused in you? The sin nature. The sin nature actually is aroused by the law. And, and the sin nature, as it is aroused in you, it will actually use the law to produce more sin. And, and the specific sin that it's going to use is the sin of self-righteousness. The sin of self-righteousness. Because the sin nature basically says, here's one of the things, that here's, here's how it taps in when the law is brought in, it either says, you can do this, <laughs> you can do this, but for you to do it, if you're really honest, you're going to have to perform and pretend. Or it's going to say, you'll never do this. You don't, have a, you don't have a chance at fulfilling this law, so you might as well just quit. You might as well just live lawlessly, because you can't keep up with the law. Now, as you hear that, you have to be asking yourself this question, does that mean that the law is bad? Does that mean that the law is poisonous or cancerous? The answer Paul gives is no, no, Absolutely not. The law is God's perfect standard. The law is the mirror that that leads us to Christ. Because, because we realize we can't keep it, we, can't, we cannot come up with a righteousness of our own. So we need the righteousness of Christ. Last week, last week we said in the same way that the sinful disposition exploits the body. The word exploits is an interesting word. As a noun, exploit is good. (laughs) You You can perform great exploits. As a verb, to be exploited is to be taken advantage of. You know what the sin nature does? You know what the sinful disposition that still resides in us does? It exploits. First, it exploits the body. In in ancient Greek thought and in and, and ancient days, they used to say that the body in itself was sinful, that the spirit was good, the spiritual part of man was good, but the physical part was bad. That's wrong. The body is neutral. The body actually is good. We said last week, God gave us physical bodies so that he could be glorified in them. The body's not evil, but the sinful disposition exploits it and takes advantage of it. Listen to this. The sinful disposition also exploits the law it twists it it uses it for a purpose that it was not intended for and it produces it produces a legalist christian 14 go ahead and put it up on the screen romans 7 14 we're going to start there i'm going to take you through this passage these are 12 powerful verses If you go through these verses, one of the things you'll notice is there's a lot of I. (laughs) There's a lot of I. In fact, in this chapter, Paul uses I, me, myself 40 times. What's missing from verses 14 through 25, there's no mention of this. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit, and that's important to take notice of. So here's what Paul says. Verse 14 now. He's going to describe, and and, you know, there's a lot of debate about these 12 verses. Because there are good theologians who say that Paul is describing a previous experience when he was an unbeliever. But but the problem with that is that the first 13 uh, verses use a past tense as Paul speaks. In verses fourteen to twenty five he speaks in present tense, in other words, this is something that I go through so here 's what he says here 's what he says: We know that the law is spiritual, which is good. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh i 'm just here he 's not so much talking. About that sinful disposition, which is what he uses a lot of times to talk about this uh, sinful disposition. He uses the word flesh. But here he's just saying, I'm flesh. <laughs> I'm flesh. Jesus said to Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he, he says, But I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Every descendant of Adam is sold into bondage, into sin. That's what happened in the garden. We were sold into bondage, into sin. That was the creation of the sinful nature. And so he says, he's, just, he's saying, he says, the law is spiritual. But I'm flesh. Here's, here's what that means. The law is spiritual. It has a good purpose. It tells me about the character of God and how to love Him. The law, the law is not the problem. The problem is there's something in me that doesn't allow me to be victorious as I want to be. Verse 15. Now, you're going to have to really pay attention, okay? Because it's almost like, it's almost like he's talking about two people. And in a way he is, we said last week, One of the things he does is he personifies the spiritual, the the sinful disposition. So here's what he says, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. Do you get that? A little bit of schizophrenia there, you know, neurotic. I want to do this, and I'm not able to do it. In fact, I'm practicing something that I don't want to do. I don't know about you, but I identify with that. Don't you? I'll make up my mind. I'll say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that anymore. That's it. And sometimes within the hour, within the hour, I find myself doing it. Here's, here's what he's saying here, very simple terms. I don't know why I do the things I do. That, by the way, The reason he's writing this is to help us understand. Because he finally got an understanding of it. He's walking us through his experience of a defeat so that we might know how to respond. Verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Here's all he's saying here, is that I know when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, or I do what I'm not supposed to do, as I reflect on it, here's what I find. I find that the law and I agree that what I did or didn't do was wrong. That's all he's saying. He's saying, I agree with the law. Kind of back to that other verse. The law is spiritual. The law is good. I agree with the law, even though I find myself not doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Verse 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Here's, here's what he's saying here. I'm a new creation in Christ. And that new creation in Christ isn't doing it, isn't, isn't bringing about this sin but there's something inside of me, this sin that dwells inside of me, this sinful disposition that dwells inside of me, overcomes me. There is in all of us as Christians, as long as this fallen age lasts and we live on the earth, the reality of indwelling sin. You've got to always be aware of that. You've got to be aware of that constantly, that that even though you have been joined to Christ and the Holy Spirit wants to bring forth fruit for God, there is inside of all of us this indwelling sin. And as long as you're on this planet, it's going to be there. And it's going to get very frustrating. That's what he's expressing here. He's expressing his frustration in these battles. Verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Well, What about the Holy Spirit? (laughs) What about the Word of God? What about the life of Christ? Doesn't that dwell in you? So he clarifies. Look what he says. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. That is, in my sinful disposition. There's nothing good about that disposition, that egotistical, want-to-be-in-control flesh. For the willing, for the willing, so it's separated from the will even, you see. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. You know what this says? You can't will yourself into righteousness. Sometimes people say, you know what you need to do to really grow in Christ? You need to to develop the strength of your will. Won't do it. You try to pull that off, you'll be defeated every time. Your will, even if you will to do good, your will is not strong enough to overcome the sinful disposition. This, this flesh, this, in, this principle of indwelling sin. Verse 19, For the good that I want... Now, he, now he's going back to what he was saying earlier. He says, For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. He says, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want... I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. See, see the division? He's, he's almost like a divided person, isn't he? Do you ever feel like that? I feel like that. You know, I, I, in my mind, I think, of, I think of serving Christ and bearing fruit and having the Holy Spirit transform me. Then I find... I remember an old John Fisher song. Some of you may have heard of John Fisher, but I've never forgotten this line from the song. He said, Have you ever been walking along feeling close to this Savior and strong when suddenly you find you've got sin on your mind? Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. This is so important for us to know. This is so important to know that when you come to Christ, he puts a desire in you through the Holy Spirit to be conformed to his image, to bear fruit. And, and if the sin, sinful disposition was eradicated, you could pull that off but because that sinful disposition inside of you that still wants control, it has lost control, but it still wants control. The law does not cause our defeats. The law law defines our victories. See, the the law says, if you will live by the Spirit, if you will allow the righteousness of Christ, to have its way and will in your life, this is what your life will look like. And the law describes that life. But the law can't bring that about. You, we can't post the Ten Commandments in the foyer and have you regularly take a look at it, read it, memorize it, and bring about transformation in your life. The law doesn't cause our defeats, the law defines our victories, indwelling sin causes our defeats. One of the dangers, and here's why I'm tackling this passage, one of the dangers of not recognizing this principle is to think that you can reach a state of sinless perfection. See, Romans 6 talks about victory, and it's, and it's rejoicing. But the person The person who is on a a quest for perfection. What's going to happen is, as I said before, you're going to perform and you're going to pretend and even worse, you're going to judge everybody around you. Rebecca Pippert audited some classes at Harvard and so she went to some of the student gatherings and one of the things that she noticed at the student gatherings and these were, these were unbelievers, is how the students readily talked about their problems. But when it came to solutions, they didn't have any. Then one time after going to a student group, she attended a Bible study group of students. And you know what she says? She says it was as if they didn't have any problems. So her conclusion was one group had all problems and no solutions the other group had no problems and all solutions and and I have to tell you Christianity is fertile ground for that kind of thinking If if you go for perfection, like if you can't handle, if you don't learn how to handle defeat, if if you go for for perfection, here's what's going to happen: when you do fall, you will be crushed. You will be crushed. J.I. Packer accepted Christ in 1944. In, at, while he was studying Latin and Greek at Oxford. And, and there was a holiness. There was, there was this perfection movement around the campus. And after a while, after accepting Christ, he was very honest. He has a very tender conscience. But, but this insistence on perfection and holiness, he actually contemplated suicide. It, that, that's what this kind of thing if you, we have to learn not only how to have victory, we have to learn how to overcome defeat. Verse 22, "For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. The inner man is, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. It's your heart. Paul says in Ephesians, "I pray that you will be strengthened in the inner man." Verse 23. He says, he says, I concur with the law of God deep inside of me. I concur. I Yes! Verse 23, But I see a different law in the members of my body, not because my body's bad, but because the sinful disposition will use the members of my body to exploit me, to take advantage of me. waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I have been changed. There's a new spiritual taste for God and His law is in me. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. However, even though I've won the war, I still can lose some battles with the old sinful disposition. And then he concludes, verse 24, this is, this is when it all hits him. He's, he's in defeat now. And he's, he's been thinking about it. He's been working through it. Listen to what he says, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, Wretched man that I am, here's what he's saying: This is what it feels like when I suffer defeat. Whenever I think of you know the the, sometimes the roller coaster ride of victory and defeat in the Christian life, the person I think of most is Peter. You know, (laughs) I love Peter. He is a living testimony of one minute victory, the next minute defeat. You know, one minute, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The next moment, he suggests that Christ not go to the cross, and the Lord turns to him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. One moment, he's experiencing the revelation of God the Father about the identity of Jesus Christ, and the next moment, he's allowing Satan to speak through him. Remember at the Last Supper, I'll never, these guys might deny you. I'll never deny you. Later on, he's in the garden of Caiaphas, and a servant girl says, aren't you one of them too? He says, I don't know him. (laughs) I don't know him. And then, you know, he preaches, Acts 2, he's restored, he preaches at Pentecost, and 5,000, I don't think Billy Graham ever had 5,000 people in one meeting except Christ. He preaches at Pentecost, it's a glorious day, the Holy Spirit comes down. Then, he goes up to Antioch, and in Antioch, there's a, there's a church full of Gentiles, and And he's eating with them and fellowshipping with them and having a great time. Maybe eating bacon for the first time in his life. And then all of a sudden, the Judaizers from Jerusalem show up. And they say, what are you doing eating with these Gentiles, these uncircumcised Gentiles? In Galatians chapter 2 says, even Barnabas, Barnabas! Was, was taken in by their legalistic ideas. So the last part of verse 24 says, Who will set me free from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? So he's worked, see how he's worked through? Now he gets back to victory. You know how you get back to victory? Same way you accepted Christ. <laughs> How did you accept Christ? You were hopeless. <laughs> there was nothing you could do. There was nothing in you that could, that could produce the righteousness that you needed from God. Nothing. So here's the answer. He says, Who will set me free from this body of death? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> That's it. I get saved all over again. doesn't mean that I get, you know, I become a believer. It means part of the sanctification process is this continual experiencing what we sang about earlier, the cross of Christ. I go back to the cross. I realize he died for me. I realize he was buried and he rose from the dead. I realize that He has paid for all my sins, even the, even the defeat that I just went through. And I say, Lord, I receive your grace once again. And then I always do this. I hope you practice this. Once you receive it, say thank you. <laughs> always say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord for making me whole. Thank you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Do you see the division? (laughs) So how do we respond when we're defeated? Four quick points. How do we respond when we're defeated? Remind yourself... As Romans 7.22 says, remind yourself that you love the law of God. I love God's law. I delight in God's law. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. I delight in the law of the Lord. I just know I can't live up to it. That's all. I recognize my weakness with regard to the law of the Lord. I delight in the law of the Lord. I hate what I just did. That's our new relationship with sin. You know, the longer you're a believer, the less pleasure that sin gives. (laughs) It doesn't give that much pleasure to begin with. It's a very fleeting, the fleeting pleasures of sin. But I hate what I just did. Verse Number three, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Verse 24, and then finally, thanks be to God. The victory will come. The victory will always come the same way I was rescued initially. It will always come through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that... Even when we are defeated, you rescue us. The righteousness of Christ rescues us. The the Holy Spirit comes and applies that righteousness again and again and again. And you never get tired of forgiving us. Even when we're tired of asking for it, you never get tired of forgiving us. So Lord, thank you, thank you for the righteousness of Christ and, and just how infinite and powerful it is and work in us, Lord, not only to not only to experience victory, but also, Lord, to know how to recover from defeat. In Jesus' name, amen.